The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brother. See, church fighting is not new. It's, it's very old. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. That's Peter, for those of you who don't know that. Or I follow Christ. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you. Or were you baptized uh, except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name? I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. May God bless the reading of his word. Oneness. This is the ideal. And I love Paul's heart. Paul's talking to the Corinthian church like he He's a pastor, and he loves him. He's saying, you guys, I appeal to you, please, because of Jesus, get along. Let there be no division among you. There's this weird thing that I, uh, I think about sometimes, and, and maybe this is only in my family. One of my children, when they get mad at themselves or when I, they get in trouble, they blame themselves. One of my kids likes to hit themselves, and I don't know if that's a normal thing, like I've, because I'm flying through this parenting thing, trying to figure out, okay, what's the healthy thing to do? And I didn't emulate this. Like, when I get mad at myself, I'm not like, stop it, stop it. I don't do that. Some of you do. I know some of you guys have done that thing in the past, you know, where you're trying to get rid of a bad habit, like cursing, and you, you put a rubber band on your wrist. Did any of you guys do that? And you just slap it, slap it? No one did that? Okay, fine. Here's the thing. If we are the body of Christ, every time we divide and attack Every time we try to leverage ourselves as more important or as better than someone else, we are literally beating up the body that we belong to, that we were saved into. And I don't know what you guys think about being united. I don't know what oneness looks like to you. But when I see the word oneness, when I see the, think of the words unity and no divisions, it takes me all the way back to the garden. Like every time I see the word united, be unified, I think about like what, what God said to Adam and Eve, the two shall become one flesh. Now, that's the marriage unitedness. And that's very close, right? One flesh, one flesh. There's something that happens in the marriage covenant when two people become one. It's not just a physical act. It's an emotional, it's a spiritual act. It's a mingling of souls. And spiritually, God wants us to be that united. I need a volunteer. I need a volunteer. Somebody that's tall. Jared, come on. Oh, no, Jesse, come on up. Okay. Okay, Jesse. Hold my link arms like we're going down the aisle. Okay. We're going to three-legged, we're going to three-legged walk. Okay. This is one leg. That's your other leg, and that's the other leg. Okay, are you ready? I'm not going to tell you. You just got to figure it out. Okay. On your mark, set, go. Okay, turn, turn, turn. Okay, keep going, keep going. What if I do this? What if I do this? What if I start doing this? Oh, he's, okay, he's bigger and he knows Taekwondo. Here's the thing. That's how Christians look 
to people outside of the church when we start fighting. It's all nice on a Sunday morning. We all get along. We say the right things. But then all of a sudden, one thing puts a little slice of division in. And in a relationship, in a marriage, it can be one little thing like the dishes being loaded in the dishwasher the wrong way. In churches, it's, well, you believe this, but I believe that. You emphasize this too much, I want you to emphasize that. You don't talk about this enough, we should talk about that. And if there's anything I know about churches, is that we will always find a way to disagree and to lift ourselves up to appear better than someone else around us. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus prayed, be one, in John 17, I, I pray that they would be one as you, Father, and me. As you're in me and I'm in you, let them be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our unity is what's going to draw in people, not our disunity. In John 13, 35, he says this, by, all, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, it's, it's very important to look at this passage in Corinthians, though, because he says you, that you will be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. It doesn't mean that there's never going to be differences but it means we will stand united because we keep the main thing the main thing. In Christianity, I, I teach it often like this. We have two hands. We have a closed hand and we have an open hand. The closed hands are things that we will not change on. We cannot disagree on. They're the core principles of our faith, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived the perfect life, that he rose from the dead after he died for all of our sins, that the Holy Spirit of God indwells in us, that God is Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons, one deity. These are things that are non-negotiables. If you argue with me about these things, I will go to my death. The open hand are the things like, when is Jesus returning? Are things like, how should church governments run? What spiritual gifts are prominent today? Uh, and these are things that you can disagree on and still be followers of Jesus, still be in the family. There are people here who don't believe in things like speaking in tongues or that miracles still exist or they're questioning it. There are people here who speak in tongues all the time and are praying for miracles every moment of every day, but they're in an open hand because these are things where we can disagree and still be in the family of God. These are things where if we disagree on, we have to ask ourselves, are, are we actually in the family? And the problem is, is that Christians tend to confuse these two hands. Instead, we just have two fists, and we beat people with them when they don't agree exactly with our perspective. But I like, I like what Chloe reports. And I like this because as a, as a pastor, there's this thing that we joke about, you know. Uh, and I don't really know a nice way to say it, but all the doo-doo flows downhill, right? And pastors are usually at the bottom in the valley, and people just trickle all the stuff down. Did you hear about what so-and-so did? I can't believe it. And if you don't just tell pastors in flat-out gossip, you do it through prayer gossip, well, we need to pray for them, pastor, because I've heard that they're doing this from their neighbor. Oh, okay. But I, I, had, this, I had this thought, and I, I really just stole this from an old pastor friend. Um, he had this book on his desk, and I think he stole it from a different pastor, and it, it was always on his desk. And I don't have an office. Once I get an office, I'm going to do this. And it just said, complaint book. And it was right in his desk. I said, what, what is that? He said, every time someone comes in and they have a complaint about someone else, I hand them this book and a pen. And I say, I want you to write down your complaint. And I want you to sign it. And then I'm going to have them read it. <laughs> and I said, can I look at that book? And he said the same thing that the guy who gave him the book idea said, it's empty. Ain't nobody want to write their name in a book about complaints. That's genius. That's genius. It's, 
Anonymity. Anonymity carries with it a false sense of power. It's never been more clearly seen as it is in our current day to day. The strength that people have behind a screen is remarkable. The things that people will say to you on Facebook or on Instagram or in comments on some page, they would never say that to your face. Because if they did, there might be consequences still. Now, I like that Chloe just said, yeah, Paul, I'm telling you this. This is what's going on. We tried to work it out. It's not working out. I'm bringing you in. You're our shepherd. You started this thing. But she wasn't afraid to be known. Every church I've ever been on staff at, we throw away anonymous connection cards. If people would complain anonymously and say, love, anonymous, they wouldn't even make it to the pastor. I love that. Just throw it away. Because if we're the family of God, we should have the love and forgiveness and and, and ability to enter into a relationship and say, even if we are having this thing, we can be reunited as one. But then we get on to the, the, the dirty part of this passage. Who do you follow? Now, everyone here, I believe, if you've been here for any amount of time, you say, Jesus. But there's this weird thing that happens in church culture. We divide over little things and people. So I'm going to change this sentence, this verse. I'm not trying to, like, reinterpret it. I'm just going to put some modern phrases in here that might get you rethinking about what's going on in the Corinthian church in verse 12. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow the chapel at Fishhawk, or I follow Bell Shoals, or I follow Fishhawk Fellowship, or I follow Bay Life, or I follow Grace Methodist, or I follow Next Level Church, or I follow this pastor or that pastor. And then the super holy people say, well, at the chapel, we only follow Jesus. And you just brought yourself back to the first one. We are the body. We're the body of Christ. We are part of something that is beautiful and amazing. And churches all around us, I looked at Google last night, and I looked at the churches in a, a close area to us. Within, like, I would say a good jogging distance, if you're a jogger, here's the churches you can run into. I would guess within give or take 20 minutes with a brisk run. Fishhawk Fellowship, that way. Grace Methodist Church, that way. They're like in the jungle right behind Lithia, right behind Fishhawk. You've got Next Level, which is out in the old Lutheran church, right off of Browning Road and Lithia Pine Crest. If you go just past them, about 100 yards, you have Abide Church and The Way Church. And then if you go a little bit further over by Rick's Custom Meats that has the best beef jerky, this is not a paid advertisement, I just want a sponsorship, you can find Crossroads Baptist Church. If you go the other way, you hit Overflow Church, formerly South Brandon Worship. If you keep going, you hit Redeemer Presbyterian Church because every city needs a Presbyterian. If you go just past them, you hit Boyette Springs Church. Now, that's a little bit more of a run that's more of a cycler's ride, okay? All of these churches make up the Church of Hillsborough. This past week, we had a, a burn service, not here, but at South Bay in Riverview. It's where worship leaders from all these different churches come together for 24 hours, and they sing, and they pray, and people cry out. There's people dancing. There's people with flags. There's people with tambourines. There's people howling. There's people just sitting. There's people laying down on the floor. And my favorite part of it was um, I got there late. I was supposed to come earlier to Ree's slot. Sorry, Ree, I missed your slot. But I was just at, I was at home, and I was like, ah, oh, I don't have the energy. Uh, and then God's like, go. And I was like, okay. So I got there very late, and I, I saw a worship leader from Seaglass in Apollo Beach, and he was just jamming on his guitar. And then 
the worship leader from South Bay was actually just playing the Congo. And I was there for a little bit of their set, and then they got off, and then these kids got up. And I say, kids, man, I'm starting to feel so old. I call grown-ups kids now. And um, I know how you guys feel when you call me a kid. Never mind. And they got up there, and, like, they were having some technical difficulties with the guitars playing. So the guy, he couldn't have been many years out of diapers, maybe, like, 21 years old, <laughs> just got down on his knees and just starts singing. And it's an auditorium, same depth, a little bit wider. And then all of a sudden, there wasn't many of us, because it's like one in the morning, give or take, around like 12 to one. So there's like 10, 15 people. And we're just, everyone's scattered. Like 10 people in here. And, uh, and everyone just starts singing. And he was singing a song I didn't know. So I just, I'm like, I'm going to just sing like a second later than he's singing. Whatever he sings, I'm just going to sing. I like this. And then I was walking around, and then like we'd all take breaks, because when you're worshiping that heavy, it's like, it drains your energy. So they had like carbs and coffee right outside. So I just go out there, and you're just like, ah, and you go in there, and you're like, Jesus. And then I, I'd go meet people, like, where are you from? Oh, we're from St. Pete. It's like, you came here from St. Pete at 12 in the morning? Yeah, we just wanted this so bad. Where are you from? Oh, I'm the worship leader over here. Where are you from? Oh, I play drums over here at this church and that church. We had people that were in their 70s, some people in their 50s, some middle-aged people, and then these, these kids just up there. I thought, boy, this is like, everyone complains about the church is not getting along. Look at this. Look at this. And then everyone says, young people are leaving the church. I'm sure I could be the, the parents of these kids that were just there being adults. And they were giving it all up to Christ. It was so beautiful and so perfect. <laughs> and then I sin instantly. I think, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we could all be one church just in the Lithia area? And then I start thinking, but man, I can't, can I really get along with this church or that church or this pastor or that pastor. Then I start thinking about all the differences. If you want to ask me one day, like, what are the differences between the chapel and this church? I could list you 5,000. 5,000. Between my theology and someone else's theology. But that shouldn't be the question we ask. The question should be, how can I unite my heart with these other churches so that we are radically committed to pursuing the lost in our area and not just sheep swapping constantly? So we're going to take a moment, and I want you to pray for another church that's not this church gathering. It might be one of the churches I listed. If you don't know any churches, pray for one of the ones I listed. Grace, Fishhawk, Next Level, Baptist, whatever. If you pray for Baptist churches in general, you're covering like 90% of Florida churches. Okay? But I want us to pray for unity and favor and blessings and God's uh, spirit to pour out on those churches, even if they don't believe in the whole pouring out thing. Pray that for these churches. Pray that the word of God would be preached and it wouldn't just be some moralistic advice. Pray that there would be unity within the churches and love that bonds people together. And pray for churches that are struggling right now that they would be able to rise above the things that are causing division and find total unity and connection and agreement. Ready, pray.
Father, we need unity in our area. Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be a hint of pride, that you would remove all pride when talking about what church body we go to, that we would be one church, one family of God on one mission to make disciples for your glory. Lord, stir up our hearts as chapel family to know how to better connect with and reach out to other churches, that we could do things in solidarity and stand on your truth, keeping keeping always those eternal truths in the closed hand, but, but never slapping people with the open-handed differences that we can have. Lord, division grieves your heart. Let it grieve ours as well, and let us always fight for unity. Okay. Paul keeps going on. Paul says something really odd. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul is talking about getting along, getting along, getting along, getting along. And then he goes all the way back to the most simple thing. If if you want to get along, you have to have the power of the gospel of Jesus. The power of the gospel of Jesus is not in some highfalutin show. It's not in eloquent words. It's in the simple gospel. The good news of Christ. Now, Paul, he tells people, I'm glad I didn't baptize many of you. When we do baptisms here, if it's a child, I, I like to always offer to the parents, would you like to baptize your children? Because I want people to know it's not, there's not anything special about me. It's not anything special about being called a pastor or having mail that says reverend. The only special title I will take is from my English friends. They call me vicar. I love it. It's my favorite thing. If you call me vicar, I'll, I'll let that pass but I don't have any extra dose of holy that I could put upon you that Christ has not already put upon you. And Paul says, I I want us to be unified. Stop thinking one's better than the other, one's better than the other, and just keep it focused on the good news of Jesus. Now, here's here's what's going on right now. At the chapel, um, we're transitioning away from small groups and into microchurches, which I love. And you're like, what's a microchurch? What does the word micro mean? What does the word church mean? That's a tricky one. Yes. Us. Small us. Small gathering of people. The reason why microchurches are different than small groups is that microchurches are taking a group's identity, and that is a church gathering. I know we think of this as church, but in the New Testament, every time they gathered, it was the church gathering, whether it was in a house, in a park, in a building like this. Every time the people of God got together, they said, hey, we got church. We're church. Let's do this. And they would pray and eat and read and study. And within every microchurch, there's going to be different people that have different gifts. For example, Paul said, I came to, not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Some of you are called to be teachers, and you're not teaching. Some of you are called to be caregivers, people who pray for others, show hospitality, bring people in, unite. Some of you are called to be missionaries here in this local context. Now, if we can get in all of these little gatherings groups of people together who begin to live out their identity in Christ, and church becomes more about who we are rather than where we attend on a Sunday for one hour, all of a sudden it becomes a living thing. The world will know us by how unified and love we have for one another. But the world that the Bible's talking about is not in this room. So in order for the world to see how much love we have for one another, where do we have to go? Out. 
for all the trouble I've ever gotten in as a pastor, my favorite is when I get in trouble for loving people outside of the walls of church gathering places. It's my absolute favorite. I think almost to a fault where sometimes I press the envelope. I'm like, I want someone to get mad at me. I want someone to say, why are you here? I want someone to say, why do you write your sermons here? But what's interesting is I realized just recently, so often I go out alone. And the Bible says they, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. So I thought, I can't just go out there and love Jesus. I need to bring someone with me out there. And you guys, just, if I'm being honest, I'm about as introverted as an introvert can come. I know that some of you are like, no, you're not. I promise you I am. If you don't believe me, ask people who know me. Ask Jared. I avoid him when he's out my front porch. Is Jared going to come in? No. Well, I just want to talk about, no. I need alone time. Ask my, my brother and my sister-in-law. We went on vacation for 10 days, our families together. On the 10th day, my wick for human experiences just left. It burned out. And all day I was like, get away from me. Get away from me. My wife's like, go to bed. She sent me to bed like a toddler. And I was like, okay. But if I don't have love for one another, how will they know? The Bible says clearly. So here's what we need to do. We need to keep it simple. We need to make the good news of Jesus at the center of all we do, and we have to bring the church out of this space and into the world. That's what microchurches are. Now, this is just one method. There's a message that remains timeless, and there are methods that change over and over and over and over again in the church. The reason why I'm drawn to this. And the reason why this is where the chapel is going is because, as we're going to read soon, Paul's going to elaborate on this. Because he said, I didn't come to baptize, but to preach. And he says, I planted a seed, and in the next chapters, Apollos watered, but only God causes the growth. We all have a role to play. We all need to be connected. We all need to be part of what the Bible calls the gathering of the church, the ecclesia. We all need to be fulfilling the roles that God has given us. Some of you are called to work with kids, and you're not. Some of you are called to be prayer warriors, and we want you up here praying with people. But we need to make sure we have systems for these. Microchurches are going to be the system as we go forward because I want each of you to discover who God has created you to be. And some of you are already thinking, I've heard this pitch, I've heard this spiel. We don't have time. Here's all that I'm asking for this, this fall semester. And we, we were going to have sign-up sheets today, but I didn't quite get all the info I needed. So the sign-up sheets are going to be out there. But if you want info, text me, call me, email me, say, I want info. Give me info on all the groups. Everything's going to be in the bulletin next week. Even if you can't attend a group, I want you to get in the communication pipeline of a group, whether it's a Facebook group. Some groups do Facebook. My group does something called Cluster. Some groups just do text messages. Some groups just send first-class USPS mail. That's why they never gather together, because it never gets there. <laughs> but I want you to at least get in the communication pipeline of groups so you can see and watch. This is what church is. Church isn't just sitting in a circle every week, once a week. Sometimes we will do that. A lot of times we'll study God's word and pray and take communion. And then sometimes we'll just go out and we'll serve somewhere together. Sometimes we're going to make cookies for a local school that we adopt as our mission field. Sometimes we're going to say, no, we adopt this family because there are families in here that are so ginormous and have such a crazy schedule. They can't possibly change the routines of their families. But man, how cool would it be if a small group stopped being a small group and started being in a church and when your kids had a soccer match, all the people in your church community go there and cheer them on. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine? How many, how many people are in your group, Eric? Adults. Around. Twelve. How many kids are in your group? 
Okay, their group is made up of 12 to 15 adults and like 3,000 ch kids, children, okay? Can you imagine if they just rallied at some kid's basketball game and they are literally half the stands? Could you imagine if, if all of those kids and all of those adults who get together regularly would say, I'm going to be the church with you. We're going to adopt this. We're going to lead everyone that knows this family. They, go, they do this sport and that sport. Man, we're going to just plug into their life and, and bring them to Jesus. Can you imagine if we changed the things that our family did based on the calling that God put in our life? Because right now we're in suburban land where we say, well, we've got to do soccer. We've got to do music. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. Imagine if instead we... Instead of thinking, Let's, what is everyone else doing? Let's do what everyone's doing. We say, what does Jesus want me to do? Maybe Jesus wants me to live in a different neighborhood. Maybe Jesus wants me to enroll my kids in the same soccer league as someone else so that I can talk to them and encourage them and pray for their parents about Jesus. Maybe Jesus is calling me to move from Fishhawk to somewhere else. Or maybe from this part of Riverview over to this part of Tampa. What if instead of us trying to orient God around our lives like a bonus item, we orient our lives around God. This is what it means to be the church. And it's uncomfortable. Some of you already know, well, God's been telling me this. I'm trying to ignore this. Pastor, stop preaching about this. But when you do this, when you become who God has wired you to be, Paul knew who he was. He said, I've come to preach the gospel, that Jesus lived, died, was buried for your sins, and rose from the dead. When you live in your calling, some of you are like, that's not me. Some of you, though, your calling is something so specific, and it's going to be stirred up in your heart since we put these tests online and spiritual gift tests and roles, and you can look at yourself, but really what you have to do is just do this. Whatever you feel like you might be called to do, try it out. If you stink at it, someone here will tell you. And if you're amazing at it, we'll say, yes, keep going, run. Because here's what's not going to happen. If we just be church here on Sunday, it's, it's just an orphanage. I cannot possibly care for everyone here, and nor can the elders. This past Friday, I went from, and Friday's my day off, but someone has surgery, so I was like, okay, let's go get surgery, because they'd asked me. Don't get mad at me if you don't ask me to visit you at the hospital, because if I'm like, if I don't know you're in the hospital, you say, can you visit? And I went and visited them. So then I went from there to another hospital where Edwin, stu student pastor here, um, he had a, an angio thing. It's a heart thing. So I went from that hospital to that hospital. And I thought, this is silly. The number of people that are getting injured in this chapel, and, and not all, just, I'm just talking physical injury, I, couldn't, I can't even keep up with. And we have elders, and we try to keep up with it. But in the last four months, we've had heart problem, heart problem, heart surgery. We've had catheters, like five people here. And that's just heart problems. If we included the mental problems of this place, I'm so busy. Which is why microchurches are important, because it creates a space where we can actually say, man, this is what I'm going through. And what warms my heart is when I see someone get surgery, and on their surgery picture that they post on Facebook that I see like four days after they had surgery, because I quit Facebook usually for political times, I just dip in and out, then I see that their small group gets them a gift basket. Get, get well. Here's a box of chocolates shaped like a heart. That's a little on the point, but you know. It's, uh, it's so beautiful. Because some of you are going to water, some of you are going to plant, some of you are going to care, some of you are going to send, some of you are going to be people who call others in. But unless you try, unless you at least look at it from the outside, like, well, let me see what these groups do. And you don't have to attend, but get into the communication of one of these groups. 
my Monday night group, Tuesday night in Riverview, Tuesday night in Valrico, Wednesday nights in way down in Riverview, Friday nights in Riverview. If you want vegan cooking, it is the best vegan cooking you will ever have. You won't even know it's vegan cooking. And they're, they're all different. My group, nerds, questioning people. We have a lot of questioners and philosophy in my group. Jesse's group, and they'll hug you and they'll never let you go. If you try to leave, they'll grab you by the ankle and just bring you back in. You can try to go to the Enriquez groups, but they're like already outnumbered 17 to 1 per adult to kids. <laughs> but there's tacos, Taco Tuesday. You can go to Ree's group. If you go there, you're going to get so much Holy Spirit prayed on top of you, you're going to leave out feeling like you got thrown into a pool. And you're like, I can't go to any of these groups. They're not on my nights of the week. My kids got soccer, this and this and this and that. Hit the pause button in your life and say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What's your calling for me? And let me be with you instead of me trying to add you on like a tumor. Paul says, lastly, he just, he just drives home. I came to preach the gospel. So I have to preach a quick version of the gospel today. Some of you ask, what does this have to do with me? How do, I don't care. Okay, I'm going to get along with people. I'm going to be nice to people. But I don't even know how to do it really because I'm not a nice person. We, you know who you are. If you're not a nice person, just blink twice, okay? This is what Paul says in another letter. I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised from the third day. Now, you may think, I've heard this a thousand times, Pastor. Here's why I'm saying it and reading it again, because we forget it a thousand and one times. Because we forget this week, I reminded myself, all of the problems that I'm facing, all of the difficulties in my life, they pale in comparison to the fact that sin and death were completely wiped away by the cross of Christ. So what do I even have to worry about? I've got Jesus who said, here's your biggest eternal problems, and I've cleared them off the table. And now I'm going to put my spirit within you to walk through whatever you're going through now. And that's from Colossians 3.3. 3. For you have died, your, your flesh has died, and your life is hidden in God. Here's God. We just hide inside of him. And because of that, because of that, we can put on as God's, this is Colossians 3, 12 to 15, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. You know why I can be compassionate if I'm hidden in Christ? Because if you say something mean to me, it just doesn't hurt anymore. Because I'm like, you think that I'm that terrible? I'm worse. And God loves me there. So no matter what you throw on me, I could be compassionate back to you. Because you've only seen a little bit of my worseness. So inside God, we can be compassionate. We can be kind when people are angry and hateful. We can be humble when, we're, when, when pride has crept in. We can say, why, why, why would I even be prideful that my church is better, that my pastor is better? By the way, you guys all have the best pastor in the world. I've read it on Don's Facebook posts. <laughs> Literally, my favorite hashtag. She posts all the time. Hashtag, my pastor is better than yours. I like that. I think we should keep that going because it's right in line with this text. But we can be meek and patient. We could bear with one another. Do you know what it means to bear with someone? It means you don't get along with them, so you tolerate it and you bear in. This is what the church can be because Christ has done it in us. God, God is willing to climb up onto the worst, most horrific thing that you bring, the darkest, deepest place of sludge and sin and deceit and anger and brokenness that you can create, God will climb into that 
to transform it into something precious. This is the gospel. And when he does that for you, maybe you'll stop asking, how much of more God can I squeeze into my life to be more faithful, to do more of this? And maybe you'll just hit the pause button and say, look, it's not about who's the best church, who attends the best, who looks the best, who gives the most. What is most important is that I'm saying, God, I'm dead to me. And you are my life. Tell me what to do. It's going to change the way you think. We're all going to become missionaries, not missionaries that go there, but missionaries that just walk across the street. We're all going to become generous, not because the Bible says to give cheerfully, not under compulsion, but because we look around and see a need and we meet the need. The early church said, you have a need, I'll sell this and meet your need. We're going to pray for each other, and it's not going to have to be Pastor Ryan. It's going to be whatever pastors are in your group. And the reason for these micro churches is that there are many churches to facilitate and raise up leaders from within so that we can raise up more leaders here at this church that we can go send out and plant other churches. Because a bunch of you drive here from Riverview. Let's just raise up a pastor from one of these micro churches, take a third of us and say, we're going to ship you over to Riverview. And we're going to give you all the infrastructure because we need more churches in the area. No, we don't need more churches. Yes, we need more churches. Until the rest of us established churches can learn how to get along, we're just going to keep planting new ones that, that we're going to wire into their DNA, get along. And it's, it's happening. Churches are getting along, but it's far. Like, I get along with Seaglass guy a lot, David. But you guys, Apollo Beach is like 10 miles away. Let's be honest. Can I drive 10 miles for Jesus? Well, probably. But can we do things together? I hope so. We're going to have another revive here. I hope we have more burn services here. And I hope it's attended by more than four people who really love to sing, but by all of us who want to get on our knees before God and say, God, if I'm dead and you give me life, help me know what to do. Because he's given every single one of you a gift. He's given every single one of you a role. And your role is not to just sit and simply listen. It's to be the church of God in a hurting and broken world that can bring good news in the midst of this bad news culture. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. But we got to be around each other to do it. So let's get, let's get involved. If you have questions, text me, email me in the bulletin. Next week, we're going to have all the sign-up sheets, and I'm going to have all the microchurch leaders on stage to say, this is where our group meets. This is who I am. This is what we do. And we're going to just do this thing for Christ and give up these little silly fantasies we have about our kids being professional soccer players. They're not going to make it. Okay. You can try. Give it an A for effort, buddy. But you know what you can be? You can be exactly who God has called you to be, little man. So let's do it. Father, I thank you for your kindness toward me. Lord, I thank you that in my darkest moments, you climbed on top and said, I'm going to make this into something beautiful and precious. That you take dirt bags like me and make beautiful, saved, and sanctified people. Lord, sometimes we, we just get so caught up in, in who's better and what's better and what's more catchy and what's trendier. Help us to put aside all of those prideful things and be all about you all the time. Lord, I, uh, I thank you. I thank you for the way you've loved this chapel family. And Lord, as we press into this section of the Bible, I pray that we would all read around in 1 Corinthians this week to prepare our hearts so that it wouldn't just be a lecture on Sunday or a sermon on Sunday, that, that we would be chewing on this and praying about how does this concept of unity affect me? 
Where do I have pride in my life? And let us turn to you, Lord, knowing that you see all and you still love us so we can come to you with total openness and transparency and authenticity and be loved by you. And then, Lord, change us. Change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen.